Hello and welcome to the In Focus podcast. I'm Sahasini Heather, the Hindu's diplomatic affairs editor, your host for today's episode. With me on the show is the former US ambassador to India, Rich Verma, Richard Verma. He's presently the vice chair at the Asia Group, uh, a strategic advisory group based out of Washington and has recently uh, received his doctorate in US India relations. Um, there are so many ways to introduce you, but uh, Rich Varma, the, the, you're, you're famous now for your own podcast, the Tea Leaves podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. No, it's, it's great to be with you. And uh, you, of course, were on Tea Leaves podcast, and that, that was one of our most listened to podcasts. So thank you for having me and thank you for coming on Tea Leaves as well. Well, the, the subject of U.S.-India relations is enduring. Um, but right now in India, all eyes have been for the last two weeks on uh, on the De- Democrat National Convention and then the Republican National Convention. Um, we've now heard both sides. And I wanted to start really by asking you to give me your assessment of what you think the main issues in this election are going to be. We have about two months to go to the election day. What do you think the big issues are going to be just going by what we've heard at the two conventions? Yeah, sure. Yeah, thank you. And and I'll just make clear at the outset, I'm really just speaking for myself in an individual capacity, but as, as someone who's been a longtime person in Washington and, and following politics very closely, happy to, to jump in here. Um, look, we are in the middle of a pandemic crisis that has devastated the country. We, we lead the world in the number of cases and in the number of deaths, despite our incredible medical system, world-class universities, health system, research. We've not been able to solve or control or limit the spread of the pandemic. And it's had an incredible economic impact as well. So there's no question that the overriding issue set coming in for the next president, whether it's President Trump or President Biden, will be to solve and stall and crush the pandemic. Second would be the economic recovery. We've had 30 million Americans lose their jobs. You don't go a day or two days without a major retail or a major store in the United States or business filing for uh, bankruptcy. The, The human toll and the way it has exposed the kind of gaps and divisions in America has has been devastating. So obviously that's uh, job number two. Uh, job number three is really an incredible kind of international repair job to rebuild American alliances, go back and talk to our friends and partners about the United States actually reclaiming and playing a leadership role again in world affairs as opposed to playing a disruption uh, role. Uh, so look, there's a there's a full agenda. Those are just three. I could go through the list of how important, you know, clean energy and clean water and the environment and infrastructure development. But look, those 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 three challenges at least will keep any any president uh, busy. And I look, I think you referenced the two conventions. There's there's obviously two very clear different pathways uh, to solve those issues. 
Sure. And in fact, all the issues that you mentioned are big issues, but the plank would be a positive one. There's a huge concern. And uh, I, I see it in, in different parts of the world looking into the U.S. Uh, as well, that, um, uh, that, you know, race is going to become one of the polarizing factors in this election and it's going to be played up much more. We're seeing uh, a resurgence, if you like, of uh, uh, race related uh, protests violence, uh, police action as well. And that played out some in, in both the conventions and, as you said, in a very different way. How, how concerned are you that that is going to take over some of these more substantive issues in terms of, uh, of what needs to be done immediately? Yeah, and I, I, I'm glad you mentioned it. And, and look, I think this is as important an issue as any of the ones that I've mentioned. Um, I am exceptionally uh, concerned about the direction that this country has taken on race and on our treatment of immigrants and minority communities in particular. I am an immigrant. I come from an immigrant family. Uh, uh, my parents came here uh, 57 years ago, the same year as the March on Washington. This struggle for inclusion and justice uh, goes on. Unfortunately, we've seen political leaders, uh, you know, charlatans try to divide the country like I've never seen in my lifetime. And this, this has a direct bearing on what we want this country to be. Now, again, I, I've told the story many times, the thought that my dad could show up here in the United States with $14 and a bus ticket and his son could go back one generation later to represent the United States. That is quintessentially an American story made possible by the hard work of so many people. That vision, that dream, that ability to do what I did, I think is seriously at risk. And that concerns me uh, greatly. And it is probably the thing that I worry about the most for our children, our grandchildren, for future generations. And we've got to just stamp out and eliminate this racism, this white nationalism that has taken over our country and has been exploited by political leaders. Sure. And you say this um, with so much uh, of your own career spent in, uh, in public service in the U.S., um, Ambassador Varma, but we are at a very, very unique moment as well. Uh, the first uh, African-American, uh, Asian-American, South Asian-American uh, um, uh, uh, woman on the Democrat ticket as vice presidential candidate, Kamala Harris. There have been many reactions uh, to her nomination. What do you make of this moment, in a sense, or the, the fact that she has so many firsts to her name? Uh, is it also a moment, in a sense, for you as an Indian American? Absolutely. Uh, I, I have been so uh, moved and inspired uh, by her selection, by her service as a senator, uh, by her service as attorney general. As you said, she's been um, breaking barriers all of her uh, career. I, I think not only was she the most qualified pick, I, I think she's going to be an outstanding vice president and hopefully future president of the United States uh, one day. There's, I, I just think she's that talented. On a personal level, 
Absolutely. I see those pictures of her with her mother, her mother and her sorry. I see those pictures of her with her sister and her, her mother and her family uh, uh, visiting India numerous times when, when she was a child. And I recall uh, my own upbringing and those we all have those experiences for those of us who came here and we were able to retain kind of our, our the best cultural traditions of India and adapt to this new this new country and I think she represents exactly what we hope America is this cross-cultural uh, diverse ticket this incredible leader and so yeah I am I am excited for the country and I am very inspired uh, personally by her story right but you know that there is a lot of skepticism in, in India Certainly, you saw a muted response almost. Uh, I think many had expected there'd be a much bigger response to the fact that there was someone of Indian extraction on a presidential ticket in the US, uh, but we didn't hear an official reaction at all, in fact. Uh, some of the concerns are over her past pronouncements, uh, whether it has been on human rights, on Kashmir and other issues. Uh, there's also been a, a, a sort of sense that it is her African-American heritage or her father was uh, of Jamaican extraction, uh, which has actually been her political uh, ticket, not her Indian American um, uh, background. What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I look, I think the, the, those are um, parlor debates that, that probably are, are not worth spending that much time or attention thinking about. I don't expect any foreign government, Indian government or any government to opine on the internal politics of, of the United States, and that would be that would be appropriate. Um, I, again, I just think you have to look at her overall uh, qualifications as a legislator, as a lawyer, as a what she did in the state of California, how she's built her office, an incredibly diverse staff. Her uh, chief of staff is is Indian American. I you know I've had the the privilege of, of getting. Uh, to know her a bit and and see her stand on on the role that the United States would play in in the world, and I, I I I'm so confident about how she would not only do in the job, but how she would do in managing really critical uh, foreign policy relationships, in, including the U.S. and India. All right, and at the end of the day, as most analysts have concluded. Uh, you swear by the U.S. Constitution when you come to office, no matter who comes uh, to office. Um, so I will ask the larger question. How do you think a Biden presidency, a Biden-Harris ticket, will actually see relations with India beyond, you know, the, we've, we've heard all the great stuff being said in the, in the statement on relations with South Asia, but where do you think, uh, a, you know, a Biden presidency will really put its focus when it comes to ties with India. Yeah, on this again, I, I'll do the the standard, um, you know, kind of disclaimer that I'm speaking for myself, but but I am in the unique capacity here of having worked with the vice president for 20 years, and I was the senior national security advisor to the Senate Democratic leader when we took up and passed the U.S.-India Civil Nuclear Bill. And the leader of the Foreign Relations Committee on the Democratic side at that time was Joe Biden. I've had uh, Bush administration officials tell me 
that there would have been no deal in the Senate, but for uh, then Senator Biden's leadership. And I saw that firsthand. We went into a rare classified session. We had uh, vigorous debates on the floor and in the in the committee. And you can go back and look at his speeches, his interviews at the time. He carefully managed an amendment process. He he really showed Democratic senators why this was important and Republican senators for that matter. And, and look, so I can go back 20 years. People can go back 40 years and look at his record of building an inclusive office. You know, one of my best friends in the Senate, uh, Puneet Talwar, was his senior foreign policy advisor. Um, I know him to be the, the first uh, vice president to ever host Diwali at the vice president's uh, residence. I was able to travel with him to Iraq and Kuwait and Jordan. I have spent a lot of time with him and I've seen his decency, his kindness, the way he treats people and his belief in this relationship. I was able to talk to him before he came to India in, in 2013. This is someone who would restore, I think, a, a degree of stability and hope, inspiration and effectiveness in the bilateral relationship. Someone who knows uh, how important this relationship is. I, again, I just go back to something he said in 2006 about this year. If in 2020, the U.S. and India are the closest and friends and partners, the world will be a safer place. Five years ago, he is the one that set the goal of $500 billion in, in two-way trade. He was the one who has talked about the U.S. and India being natural allies and, and partners. And he, he, he and President Obama talked about this as being the defining partnership of the 21st century. So, look, I, I think if, if you are rooting for the U.S.-India partnership, I think you're going to find no stronger advocate than Joe Biden. Um, well, I, I mean, I, I would say that there are two views about that because there are those who would say, how do you match uh, the Modi-Trump uh, bonhomie, if you like, the chemistry between the two leaders? Uh, we saw them together at a public rally in Houston and then the massive public rally in Ahmedabad. They refer to each other um, in their tweets uh, when, in, uh, when the U.S. wanted stocks of HCQ, uh, Mr. Modi actually um, reversed an export ban in order to do that. There's a closeness, you know, there's a, there's a coordination in that relationship. Uh, and, you know, my question would be, will a Democrat, uh, Democratic leader and, um, uh, uh, you know, some uh, a, a Democratic administration be able to match that? You know, in India, there is this sense that, uh, of course, President Obama and Prime Minister Modi had a great relationship, but at the end of the day, the Democratic administration always makes uh, many more noises about things like human rights and Kashmir, what we've heard over the last year, uh, than the Trump administration has, for example. Yeah, look, um, th again, this is not something we have to guess about. I don't have to go back to President Truman or President Kennedy or President Clinton uh, to get a measure uh, of what this might look like. I don't have to guess what a, a Joe Biden in the White House, how that might look like um, or what that might mean for India. I can just say what I know personally. We broke every record on defense sales and cooperation. We broke every trade record under a Biden administration. 
the only president to visit uh, India twice, the only president to come to Republic Day. It was Joe Biden and Barack Obama who wanted to carve out a separate designation for India as a major defense partner. It was Joe Biden and Barack Obama that knew that India would be critical to the Paris Climate Agreement, to the Treaty on Hydrofluorocarbons, to improving global health security. It was that administration that actually worked on launching satellites together, space cooperation. It was that administration that Joe Biden was a part of that broke every record on the issuance of visas and welcomed uh, tech workers and did not treat the spouses of tech workers badly, actually wanted an inclusive America. I could go on and on and on through the list. Again, anyone who thinks that somehow there's not, you know, you can go back and look at the 73 or 74 years of U.S.-India ties, and there have been high points. High points 1959 with President Eisenhower, high points maybe 1962 with Kennedy, 2005 with President Bush. Um, I would dare say that the Obama-Biden years, especially those last three or four years, and people are going to say I'm not objective because I was in the job at the time, but were some of the best years we've ever had in the relationship. And I would fully believe that we can reclaim that. Now, if, if you... If the chief complaint is sometimes Democrats raise human rights, I would just say sometimes Republicans raise human rights. At least that's the way it used to be. And they, and that happens to be a trait of America. And it's not only unique to South Asia, it happens across the globe. I will say the Trump administration has, has given, um, not much attention to that account, but let me tell you also that that's what close friends and partners do. If you think for one second that I wasn't called on a daily or weekly basis with concerns or critiques about what was happening in the United States, then people don't, and by Indian officials, then people don't understand the complexity or the, the strength of our relationship. If we didn't have much of a relationship, we wouldn't talk about these issues. But the fact is, Indian leaders can call me and the president and the secretary of state and others and raise sensitive issues and we can do the same. People should, people should welcome that conversation. All right. On another issue, the, uh, the Biden campaign put out a document on relations in South Asia and which said that, um, uh, if president, um, Mr. Biden would also work with India in the Indo-Pacific region to ensure no country, including China, is able to threaten its neighbors with impunity. Uh, do you see China as a, as a sort of bipartisan issue now, that no matter who comes to the White House in November, China will be the big challenge? And uh, do you see, as a result, the India-U.S. relationship is going to become much closer because of China? Yeah, I, I, I guess I would say several things about this. I think I think it's important that the U.S.-India relationship be about U.S.-India relations and not about any third country. I think we have to be. I think we have to be careful about that, and, and so that means building on this post World War II democratic order, reforming institutions, building an open, just, fair, rules based system. That is what the U.S. and India are glued together uh, in common purpose to do, and that's what we should continue doing. No question about that. Uh, secondly, look. Um, we are in a competition with China 
uh, obviously, uh, militarily, economically, uh, from a technology point of view. Uh, and, and yes, it is, it is a concern. I don't think either the United States or India aspire to contain or control China, or we certainly don't aspire for uh, conflict with China, but we have to be uh, prepared. The question is, what is the record over the last three and a half years and the approach that's been taken? In my view, this narrow kind of tariff approach where American farmers and consumers uh, pay the brunt of increased tariffs on Chinese goods while we exit international institutions, while we weaken our alliances in Asia, while we create uh, kind of an open playing field for the Chinese to come in and fill a vacuum, that is not approach. That is not an approach that puts the United States in a stronger position. On top of gutting our diplomatic and our development tools, uh, you know, n doing nothing about the challenge that we face in this competition here at home on science, technology, and infrastructure. So there's a lot we have to do at home as Americans to engage and and really prevail in this competition. And we've seen we've seen a different approach that frankly has not been effective. Um, but to get back to the India-China relationship, uh, as uh, the India-US relationship when it comes to China, uh, the last few months have of course seen a standoff between Indian troops and Chinese troops at the line of actual control. Um, while India has made it clear, the external affairs minister S. Jai Shankar saying a few weeks ago that India will never be part of an alliance system. Do you think actually that an India-US military alliance is something that uh, that is a possibility in the future? No. And I, I'd agree with the foreign minister. I, look, I think the, the notion of a mutual defense treaty or an, a you know, formal alliance is a, is a product of the 20th century. And, and, and what we ought to be looking at is a, is a product for the 21st century. And that, that is not going to be strictly about, uh, military tools. That is going to be about, uh, economics, values, institutions reform as i said making sure india plays a leading role in international institutions and we can certainly and help with that and we should make that a, a reality building up our our commercial linkage linkages uh, i think there's huge opportunities with supply chain diversification huge opportunities in our global health uh, cooperation obviously our security cooperation our intelligence sharing our counterterrorism cooperation bolstering wherever we can, India's uh, uh, military capabilities, all of that creates the glue, a kind of stickiness that does form the modern, you know, to use uh, two former or, or two Indian prime ministers phrase, that, what, that is what makes us natural allies. It is an alliance without the alliance or treaty framework. And I think that's what we should aspire to. And we can, we can certainly get there. Now, I don't have to, uh, you know, guess about what uh, President Biden's position would be. I'll just tell you in his video message of 10 days ago, 
he made it very clear that he would uh, stand with India, including when there are disputes involving its border. So I think his position has been fairly clear. All right. Um, there are other issues which actually haven't moved much, and if I may say so, haven't uh, were were a sticking point even when you were uh, uh, ambassador to India, and that is on the issue of trade. In the last three years, we've seen a lot of back and forth. We've seen a lot of talks. Uh, go on, but um, actually no trade deal yet. And despite the fact that President Trump came here, a lot of uh, expectations that uh, that some kind of a trade deal between the two countries, at least in order to uh, get over the tensions, you know, the, the fact that it, uh, the U.S. has re re uh, taken away India's GSP status or in, uh, in fact initiated a 301 inquiry. Um, where do you think the real problem in the trade relationship lies it's a, it's a great question and uh, you know i i guess i've been disappointed that we haven't been able to, to uh conclude this trade deal which i think is important uh not because of the size or the volume of this particular trade deal but i think it would give us confidence to get other things done like a bilateral investment treaty possibly a free trade agreement could we be in a multilateral trade regime like TPP one day, that's something we should aspire to. But we ought to be able to get this done. I, you know, I, I'm not sure um, why we've been stuck like we've, we have been. Maybe it's just a lack of understanding, uh, a lack of regular uh, contacts between uh, our senior officials. I, I just think this is, this is one area where we've got to do better. And I would hope that one way to do this, you know, we we have celebrated our military ties, our two plus two dialogue, the quad, but we we ended up kind of eliminating the the key dialogue, the strategic and, and commercial dialogue, which brought our strategic interests and our commercial interests together. And I think this dividing line between what is commercial and trade and what is strategic is, is a dividing line that doesn't make sense anymore. And, and when you have a, a trade set of disputes like this, it can impact the strategic relationship. And so I think we have to be careful about that. And I think we have to understand what is confronting India and its economic and development situation. I think we have to understand what's confronting business and, and their situation. But these are eminently resolvable issues, and I hope they get resolved. All right. And of course, finally, when we look at the worldview vis-a-vis U.S.-India relations, we do have to discuss Pakistan. Now, I know you said, um, uh, Mr. Biden said at this diaspora event that, uh, that the U.S. would stand with India in confronting threats in its own region. Um, but equally, Mr. Biden is seen as someone who had, uh, as vice president, very close ties with Pakistan. He was uh, awarded Pakistan's highest uh, civilian honor. He uh, made several trips there. It was um, well known that his views on Afghanistan perhaps involved some kind of large Pakistan role uh, in, in, in its future. Uh, my question really, how is he going to uh, tackle the uh, the situation with Afghanistan, where the U.S. troops are on their way out, uh, and what do you think is going to be uh, his South Asia policy in the manner that uh, you know President Trump had articulated his a few years ago, regardless of 
how that turned out. What would be Mr. Biden's South Asia policy in terms of the India-Pakistan equation? Yeah, I, I think, look, these are important questions. And again, I think, uh, I, again, I think I go back to the critical role that he played in uh, trying to bolster the democratically elected government of Afghanistan, try to reduce the number of, of foreign troops, including U.S. troops that were there. You know, I, we are going on 19 years of a U.S. troop presence in Afghanistan. And I think at some point, you know, you can maintain the counterterrorism capability, you can maintain the training uh, force, but I think everyone wants to see a peaceful, stable, democratic Afghan government succeed and be able to respond to the threat posed by extremist groups, the Taliban, other outside governments that are playing a role there, unfortunately. Um, and look, with, re with regard to Pakistan, I think you've, you've also heard the vice president say directly that cross-border terrorism is not something that anyone could ever tolerate. Uh, the, the people of, of Pakistan have been uh, victims of this terrorism, and it's important that this kind of threat be brought under control. And I think, you know, ultimately, you know, I, I think you, you will find somebody who is an advocate for a strong, peaceful, uh, democratic uh, South Asia. India would be the anchor, uh, obviously, given, given the, the role that it plays. Uh, and again, I just think, you know, look at, look at the strong record that he's played over, over 40 years. So I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm quite confident about his security credentials and his ability to help uh, stabilize a difficult set of, of situations that pose a threat to peace-loving people in South Asia and beyond. Well, thank you for your candor and thank you, Ambassador Dr. Varma, um, for joining us on In Focus. If you've been listening, thanks so much. I'm Sahasini Heather, Akhil. Thank you so much.